Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On this week's episode, I welcome in Yada Prukshashakin, who is a machine learning scientist and former nonprofit founder. At 23 years old, she's led a couple of different lives. One is a published author and nonprofit founder in Thailand, and another in software engineering. She's now combining those two sides, working at Alexa as a scientist on fairness and bias during the day. And then on the nights, on the weekends, her side hustles are projects related to mental health, women empowerment, and public well-being. Had a really enjoyable conversation, a lot of vulnerability shared on Yada's side, so I appreciate her coming on and telling a lot of stories um, that's led her to where she's at today. So without further ado, my chat today with Yada Prukshashakin. Let's get it started. Yada, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. You have such a unique background, which I thought you'd be a really good fit here for the podcast, uh, unlike some other guests I've had. So I wanted to pry into some of your background, some of the different things you know, you're doing, especially around just getting started. You know, that's what the podcast is about. So some of the different projects you've taken um, on in your uh, in your young life. Can I start though, if you don't mind, I haven't had anyone on the podcast from Thailand. I don't know much about it. I'm, I'm kind of naive, I guess, um, from this standpoint. Can you share a little bit about your upbringing, just what it was like being raised in Thailand? What are, you know, maybe some of the values you've learned early on from family, friends, et cetera, that helped you kind of get on this path? If you don't mind starting there, that might be really helpful for everyone listening in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I, again, like you said, I'm from Thailand, uh, more specifically the city of Chiang Mai in the north. And I, you know, I grew up um, there, went to school. And I guess I grew, just for context, um, I grew up there until the age of 12. And then I left for a traveling high school um, and then um, sort of that sort of kickstarted my dream to where I am now. Um, but in terms of, you know, my upbringing, I think in Thai culture, there's a lot about, you know, respecting your elders. And so I was definitely taught to do that. Um, and also, you know, there's different paths that people go. So you see a lot of people who um, are children of doctors and then they become doctors themselves. I have a lot of friends back home who, um, you know, are, are still there and um, followed kind of more the traditional path. And, um, and yeah, I guess, you know, other than that, I think it's pretty normal, like watching cartoons and, um, yeah. you know, as a child and yeah. Well, I didn't know if it was more like, you know, obviously with stuff, you obviously your background with machine learning, you're doing a lot of that as, you know, kind of from a full-time role and stuff. Like, was that, is that part of something you learned from growing up in Thailand? Was that, did you get exposed to that oh. with your traveling high school? Like that was the first, when did you get exposed to that stuff? Yeah, I guess I can give you a bit of a spiel about my story. Um, yeah. And it was actually kind of more of a um, definitely not a linear path. <laughs> and yeah. it, again, it, I think it starts out in Thailand. Um, I actually, I actually left home um, because I was bullied a lot in school oh. and this is actually relevant um, and bullied to the point where I wanted to find a way out. And so I applied to a lot of looked into homeschooling, looked into different 
programs and there was this high school mind you I was in seventh grade at the time so they were accepting people into ninth grade um and I was so I was so desperate I guess you could say desperate or just very determined to get out um to the point that I just applied anyways and um luckily they accepted me and I went um I went to high school um abroad and I think that was really the main one of the major catalysts for my journey thus far. Um, and at the time I was, you know, I was definitely more of an artist growing up. So dancer and a writer, um, you know, competed and won a few um, creative writing competitions. Um, and, and then in high school was exposed to, you know, traveling the world and um, really like, you know, critical thinking. And um, getting exposed to a lot of change makers and, you know, this whole like taking charge of your own destiny, that's, you know, that's a very, that was a very new concept to me when I went to high school. Um, and, and there, um, you know, I became very interested in social impact because, you know, um, in high school, we definitely did a lot of volunteer work and it was all about, you know, how can we make a change. Um, and, and I think that kind of took me and I got into the nonprofit world for a little bit, um, started a nonprofit initiative in Thailand, um, and managed that for a few years, um, before coming to the U S for college. And then, um, in college, I sort of discovered computer science and, but it was not related to, like, I actually didn't know what machine learning was when I came to um, the U.S. for college, and I was more interested in using technology to help amplify social impact. Um, and the reason that I took that I discovered computer science was because um, I didn't want to take a math class, and I definitely had bad, thought I was not a math person and um, had a pretty bad experience with math or in my earlier years. Um, and when I came to the U.S., um, the school that I went to, a liberal arts college, we had to take a math class, but you could also take a computer science class instead. So I took the computer science class and, you know, completely, you know, fell head over heels for it um, and kind of went along that journey, um, ended up graduating with math and computer science and um, kind of going into the startup world um yeah so that's sort of well that's really good can i pause it can i pause you there because i think there's like four things i underscored yeah. <laughs> um, so let's put a pin right there because i want to come yeah. back to that and, and, and get into that um that world if you will but i want to go back um if, if i could ask why were you why were you getting bullied what was what was the reason do you do you, do you did you ever fully understand that yeah i mean i definitely i think i understood part of it although i haven't talk to the people who had bullied me for um, some time. But I definitely think it was a mix of just not having the best social skills. And that was something that I took me a while to develop. Um, but also, you know, I, <laughs> but also just being the new kid, I think I trans, um, I, you know, came to, I started a new school for elementary and the kids there had been together since kindergarten yeah. and I guess a few years is so long 
when yeah. you're that young. Um, and yeah, I think I I think it was just a mix of being the new kid and social awkwardness. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I always think, you know, I have a I have an eight and a half year old. And I always think about this as like, you know, and I, and I think he, you know, he's different. Um, he's, he's different from a social setting. He has ADHD and, and some sensory processing disorder. And it's always, even though he's an unbelievably creative, like fun, loving, like awesome kid. Like I worry that he struggles in those social situations, sometimes doesn't recognize um, things that are going on. And that's what, that's why I always ask. And the reason I'm prying is, was there anything you picked up on any cues to know, because some kids get bullied, they don't know they're bullied, right? Um, for, for yeah. Until they reflect back years later, and, and I've had some on this podcast talk about that. But did you uh, did you know you were being bullied at the time? Like, did it really hurt? I mean, it, like, oh. were they actually physically picking on you or, or stuff like that? Or how, how how did how would that go? If you don't mind sharing. Oh yeah, I definitely I definitely knew I was bullied. Um, I think it was more most of it was ostracization. So I distinctly remember actually swinging or like being on the swing with one other person who was sort of in the popular group but mm -hmm. um but also was just nice and we were hanging out and then the the main mean kid came up and and said you know what are you doing and she said oh I'm just talking to her and she was she basically said something along the lines of you're um she's not being your friend you're starting to become her friend and you know yeah that's not cool um and it was a lot of that and it was a lot of you know, um, just, just making sure that I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and did you share that with parents and stuff or did you keep that inside for, for many years? Um, I mean, my parents definitely knew, okay. but I think, um, honestly, I think that experience made me grow up a lot. And I talked to I talk to adults a lot, um, and um, but I think it kind of reached a tipping point in in seventh grade, and and then I decided I need to needed to go yeah to somewhere else. How did you? I've never even heard of traveling high school until you mentioned something. Maybe I heard it randomly. I don't know in the past, but how did you know to look for like a traveling high? Like how did that? How did that opportunity come to light? Yeah, um, so it was actually through the school's guidance counselor that um, I would talk to sometimes. And I was already looking for different, um, you know, programs like homeschooling, other things. And she suggested that I take a look at this new school, um, Think Global School. And it was very new. They were accepting the first cohort of students um, and from all around the world. And they had, you know, a lot of applicants. Um, and, and so I decided to just put in an application because why not? Um, and yeah, it definitely worked out. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, one, that's a big step to even put the application in because, you know, again, a lot of other folks, and I was bullied a little bit when I was younger too, you, you lose a lot of confidence, right? That you can even do anything and you feel like you're not good enough. At least that's how I felt. So just the fact that go the, the route of putting in the application, putting yourself out there, I mean, that's a big step, right? Um, yeah, I think, honestly, oh, I think honestly, the bullying actually turned into a sort of drive for me. Mm -hmm. And for a while, um, you know, part of the determination and the discipline um, 
was driven by the negative energy from that, which, you know, the outcome is good, but I definitely think it took years of just unlearning and healing to be able to still have that, you know, the good things that come out of that, like, you know, hustle and discipline, but to emotionally also feel like you are worthy and you're enough, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, and, and so share a little bit, obviously, that that maybe spawned you into because you started a nonprofit when you were young, right? How old were you? I had just turned 15. Just turned 15. That's pretty incredible. What tell us a little bit about the, the nonprofit and why did you, why did you start it? What was the, the uh, genesis behind it? In terms of the nonprofit, I grew up and I guess I could have also mentioned this when I talked about my upbringing. Um, I grew up as a child of two doctors. Um, so I would hang around my parents' office a lot of times after school, which is the hospital. And there I saw, um, you know, a lot of the children my age in the inpatient in wards in that hospital. Um, and sometimes I would, you know, tag around and kind of see what was happening in the wards and realize that, you know, a lot of the kids weren't having the opportunity to pursue extracurricular activities, um, which I had, you know, the privilege of doing um, in terms of, you know, going into ballet and different types of arts as a child. Um, and so I really, and so I really wanted to bring that to the inpatient wards. Um, and so I started, you know, mostly it started off with just teaching dance classes and volunteering, and then it sort of grew into, you know, recruiting a bunch of volunteers to do that at the inpatient, at the inpatient ward um, mm-hmm. and creating a curriculum for um, extracurricular activities in terms of dance and arts. Um, so, so we really um, started, you know, matching volunteers with um, children and patients um, in several hospitals in Chiang Mai. Um, and yeah, that was a really fulfilling experience. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's quite incredible at 15. Uh, you know, I, w- I was playing video games and, you know, playing golf. Like that's, that's what I was doing at 15 and you're, you're starting a nonprofit. So that's pretty cool. What, um, how did you get it started? Did you have to like, and again, I don't know what the rules and regulations are over there different than in America, probably, but like, how did you go about starting? Was there like a corporation you had to start or some, you know, how, how did that all work? Yeah. So that, um, so that initiative was definitely more grassroots. So um, it started off with, you know, um, just me teaching at first. And then um, I sort of pitched this idea to my parents. And um, I definitely I definitely have to, you know, accredit and thank them for a lot of like making this happen because, um, you know, I was able to reach hospital boards and nurses and get buy-in from those stakeholders because um, of those initial connections Mm -hmm. and, you know, just um, getting and establishing connections through um, the hospital side. And then the second thing was recruiting volunteers. So that involved, you know, touring around at different high schools and um, pitching to them um, and like getting them involved um, in terms of, you know, the community service hours and um, getting them, you know, we were recruiting for artists and dancers at the time. Yeah. And is the nonprofit still around? Are they still doing it right now? Yeah. So I am no longer um, actively involved. Um, Mm -hmm. I left two years after. um, 
and but it is still running. It's mostly um, in one of the hospitals, and it's mostly fueled by the medical school students um, in the local university there. Yeah, wow, that's pretty incredible. You know, it's it's so funny that, and I'm just tying. Maybe I'm I'm tying this together. Maybe it's more of a coincidence. Maybe not. But you know, here you are, a couple years prior, getting bullied. You know, feeling like your people are making less of yourself, and and not as. And now you're kind of the circles coming around where you're actually trying to make people feel good and give good and positivity back to the world. It, it's just really cool to see um, kind of using that as a, as an energy to say, Hey, you know what, Maybe there is good in the world. Let's actually show these folks that there are. So kudos to you. That's, that's, uh, quite in, uh, incredible. Um, I, I'm curious, you said something else that was, and, and, and this is more just fun, you know, kind of conversational stuff is what, what happened, what happens if you don't take the computer science class? What happens yeah. if you had to take math? What do you think you'd be doing now? Yeah, that's a super good question. Um, I think I think I would honestly have gone into the corporate social responsibility route and or um, maybe gone back home earlier. Um, I think I think you know I would still be doing social impact and maybe and right now I'm still also you know integrating that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think um, I would have stayed in social impact and been there for longer because I think in college, I sort of went on a flight dip outside and then now I'm coming back in. Okay. Interesting. What, yeah. what, um, what is it about like um, software engineering, machine learning, those type of things that, that kind of gets you jacked up, gets you excited? Like, what is it that you like about that? Yeah, I think it's honestly the impact, right? Like, um, like there is a lot of potential in terms of grassroots nonprofits and, you know, you can, it depends on what type of impact you want. Like, do you want to change the life of, you know, 50 people of a hundred people of thousands and millions of people. And I think um, nonprofit work is great for more in the like hundreds, maybe thousands. Um, but technology, you know, has the potential to reach the millions um, so that was the initial draw to it. Um, and also everyone has phones these days, like even in, you know, third, third world countries. Um, so, you know, everyone, technology is everywhere. So there's a lot of potential to increase access using it. Yeah. Well, so I want to talk, and we don't have to get in too much, obviously with the, I know you obviously working from Amazon, you're doing on the Alexa side. Um, everyone knows Alexa, so I don't think we have to go into that too much. But I'm more curious around the um, some of the side hustles you're doing because I think that's that's kind of the cool thing. I'm doing that as well, and a lot of folks are they're working their full time job, they love it, you know, whether they like it or not, they're doing it. But they're they have these other passions that they're working on and driving towards. So, can you share a little bit about kind of you know starting these other initiatives you're doing a lot of women's empowerment stuff obviously you talked about the social justice you pick wherever you want to start uh, but just share maybe about actually doing some of these sites like why is it important to kind of start building this other stuff um, on the side for your for yourself yeah um i guess i can also i guess i can start actually with mental health because mm-hmm. mental health has been i'd say the overarching strand of my story okay. thus far and um and it has been a side hustle but it's also been my main hustle at points it's sort of been but it's always been consistent ever since I'd say 
five, six years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess um, in terms of mental health, I've worked on that um, in a variety of different forms. So, um, you know, and the main question that I've been interested in is how to make sure that people can access help when they need it um, from a mental health standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I've looked at that question from a bunch of different angles. So um, one is academic. So, you know, doing a research project and looking at um, con- automatic content moderation of mental health online forums. Um, and also, you know, looking at it more from a startup perspective as well. And um, I actually, the reason why I became interested in machine learning, like the direct reason, um, and decided to go to grad school for it, um, was because I was interested in um, the the potential of chatbots to help with um, automated like mental health, um, you know, mental health services. Um, and if you want to talk about that, that's also something that I have a lot of opinions in. <laughs> um, yeah, go. Yeah. So when you talk about chatbots, is that like? I have something going on. I want some help with, I go to be able to go online or on an app or something and kind of have some automation there to be able to give me some almost, I don't know, some advice or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. What's the, what's the thoughts there? Yeah. So um, sort of, you know, like um, being able to give cognitive behavioral um, therapy to chatbots. And that was the initial, that was kind of my thought um, several years ago mm-hmm. or I guess at this point it was more like three or four. Um, and then once I actually delved into it and did some more market research and also, you know, in grad school learned more about machine learning and its limitations, mm-hmm. um, I realized that, um, you know, machine learning can help augment processes um, in mental health. They can't replace humans. Um, even therapists, you know, it's so hard to find one that clicks with you mm-hmm. and to, to expect or think that an ML model is, will be able to, you know, cater to people's specific needs is a bit, um, a bit too ambitious at this point. Um, so, so definitely, um, so definitely that was the main takeaway from, um, that journey. Um, yeah. Mm. It- I don't disagree with you there because I, I think there's having that mesh of, because I think it comes down to, it's one thing someone can tell you something and give you advice, but you actually have to trust and respect them, I think, to take the advice to, to heart and do something with it, right? There's a difference if someone just gives you random advice, you're like, okay. But so that, that to your point, I think you have to, you have to gel or mesh with the person um, and, and where humans hopefully are still, um, needed for a little while longer before the the robots take over, as they say. But yeah, no, that's that's completely true. Um, and so, so that was sort of you know the first strand of the mental health work, and then um, and then that evolved into um, the current project that I'm currently working on. Um, that I started. I guess we, let's backtrack six months ago. Um, okay. So I had just graduated from grad school and had a couple months, was supposed to go back to Thailand, but alas, can't do that this year. Um, yeah. But, um, and I really wanted to get back into the social impact roots. And um, I actually kind of went through a, 
360 at that point because, um, you know, I had spent three to four, three years at that point seeing how technology could help augment mental health processes, both from, you know, um, B2C to um, augmenting physicians' um, processes in hospitals. Um, and, and I realized that, you know, hey, like, what if we, one problem that has actually been in front of me all this time is actually mental health literacy. Um, so especially even outside the US, um, like in Thailand, um, mental health is definitely still, there's still much more of a stigma than in the US, although that's starting to change as well um, with you know, new Western culture coming in. Um, but, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of knowledge that um, is starting to be shared on social media in the U.S. that isn't shared there. And talking to some of my international friends, um, I, you know, I also saw that there were similar problems there. Uh, so, so, I just, so this June, um, I started to just, you know, it didn't start out with like being ambitious and being saying like, oh, you know, we're going to start a startup that's going to change the world. It was more just me trying to understand um, people's pain points um, and their own mental health journeys mm -hmm. um, and kind of narrowing into figuring out how to make mental health content that's culturally competent. Um, so that tackles, you know, um, the nuances of mental health and, say like the Asian perspective or the Thai perspective um, or even like, you know, third culture kid perspective. Um, and so, and so we, and so I built an organization and this is why I said that now I'm kind of coming back into the social impact realm um, that creates and translates culturally competent mental health resources. And we gained, um, we did gain some traction. Um, you know, we built a team of 17 people across therapists, translators, content creators, and hosted events um, that, you know, drew participants from five countries and um, were, you know, hosted by our amazing therapists. Um, and so that's been, you know, taking up my time that's not at work um, mm -hmm. for the past couple of months. And we're currently going through a bit of um, rethinking and pivoting right now. Yeah. So did you start that yourself? Did you have a couple of co-founders? How did you, how did you uh, set that up? I started it myself. Um, again, like I said, it was more just me just talking to a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, and then along the way, um, you know, some of the people that I talked with had a friend who would, who, you know, would be interested in working on something else. And, you know, people are so, are so open and, um, I've been really inspired by the number of people who have reached out and joined this effort because, you know, we aren't, we aren't getting paid right now. And this is more just, um, you know, it was mostly people who are so passionate about um, helping disseminate information across cultures, across language barriers that they would hop on and help. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was curious. Are you just bootstrapping this with, you know, your own dollars if there are any? Do you have any investors lined up? Like, how do, how do you structure it? Obviously, if you're scaling, you have some, a lot of people involved. You want to make it bigger. How do you go about doing that? I mean, you may not have the answer, but I'm just more curious of, of what's the, yeah. how are you thinking about going about doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's obviously right now, um, I think it depends on what you want the project to be, right? Like, I think different projects have different um, purposes. And I think one nuance that I also want to bring up is that I am not a US citizen. I'm here on a visa. So there's an additional layer okay. on top of this. Um, and so I think, you know, we've most, I've mostly been bootstrapping this. Um, and right now, um, right now, I think in the future, I definitely want to go full time on this. But I think there is a lot in terms of, you know, logistics and things that um, I have to work out before that's possible. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, it sounds like you're, you know, you're excited about it. Like, you know, there's, there's some change of brewing that you think you can uh, impact the world, which is awesome. Um, I, I underscored something earlier. I want to go back to, again, as we go on these tangents here in the podcast, um, what uh, you mentioned earlier, again, um, in Thailand, like a lot of, hey, people will follow in the footsteps of their parents and, and obviously both your parents being doctors. What, are, what do they think about you doing what you're doing? Yeah, um, I am so grateful for them. And they've always been more hands-off, definitely not the traditional Thai parent. <laughs> and, you know, always supportive of what I wanted to do. They let me go to a boarding school, traveling boarding school abroad when I was 12, for goodness sake. Um, and and I think, I think, you know, they obviously have opinions, um, but at the end of the day, they respect mine. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I'm just more curious on if there was any struggle there, you know, if, that, if that's a hard conversation to have with them, like, Hey, this is really what I'd love to do, but that's good that they're supportive of that. And that's what I was going to ask is, you know, kind of from a support system, it seems like if they were on board, that's kind of all you need, you know, in terms of what you had that you talked about earlier, getting bullied and not having folks. It seems like now, if I'm accurate, you have some people around you, even those folks that are helping out with this startup, that they're they're there, they see the vision, they're supportive in that mission, right? Yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely think that's and just to your point about emotional support system, I think that's super important. Um, and I think I didn't always have that actually. Um, and and actually, this is something that I also wanted to talk with you about. Um, is you know. I have been in a lot of different bubbles in terms of the Silicon Valley startup bubble. I've been in the academic bubble um, and each bubble has its own social norms um, in terms of what's cool and what's not. And um, I definitely think it's super important to have that emotional stability, especially if you're going to embark on something off the beaten path for the social bubble that you're currently a part of. Um, so, um, and actually, one story that I wanted to share as well is the story of why I became so passionate about mental health in the first place. Um, so in the middle of college, when I was, you know, dis discovering computer science and tech and um, quite new to the space, um, I sort of delved into the Silicon Valley culture and where people, you know, really advocated for dropping out of college, starting your own thing, you know, um, work 20 hours a day. Um, and, and, that, and I actually did withdraw from college for a semester um, to do my own thing. And, and at the time, 
looking back, I think it was definitely um, what I was actually going to do was not something that I was super passionate about. It was more, you know, sort of the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so I did that. And because of um, a reason that's, that was somewhat out of my control at the time, the opportunity that I had worked hard to carve out, mm-hmm. um, fall through. And, and I had to, and I decided to go back to the US. Um, it was, you know, semester had already started. My friends, who thought I was dropping out, um, kind of was like, oh, you're back. Um, so it was it was definitely a very hard few months. And it made me evaluate, um, you know, why I was doing what I was doing. Um, and I realized that, you know, I had a lot of friends, but I definitely needed to work on more like emotional stability and just having, you know, that emotional cushion. Um, and so I think now I've gotten to a place where I do have that, but I think it, ha- I definitely can say that it's not been that way all along. Yeah. I, I think going through that struggle too, you know, you learn a lot and you really, you know, I've started to realize this too, is just the circles that you're in. Are they the right circles? Are they the right people that you're around? What type of people, you know, kind of jam with your values, who you are as a person, those are the people you want to you know, spend more time with. And you start learning that as you get older, you know, I, I probably didn't learn that until I was in, you know, I'm 37. So I didn't learn that until I was in my early thirties. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone, everyone learns at a different age. So I, I think it, it, the fact that you had that perspective on it is probably uh, pretty mature uh, beyond your years, you know? Yeah. yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely really hard, but um, I think, you know, I think there's good things in all of these circles, right? Like there's the hustle culture and, you know, the, um, the drive and determination and that's great. And, you know, you can keep, I definitely still keep that part of myself, but, you know, I also, there's also, I can draw from different parts of myself that I've built going through these different circles. Yeah. Yeah. How is it? Um, I, I guess while we're on that topic, how is it being a, a woman in technology? I mean, that's a, you know, that's a very, you know, uh, small group, right? In terms of engineering and stuff like that. It's still, it's growing, but it's still very underserved. Um, if, if I could use that term, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, my vocabulary is not great. I'm not sure of an, another term to use, but how is that going through either college or even now after um, and being in, in that kind of being the, the woman in, the, in kind of the boys club, if you will, of like engineering and tech development? Yeah. I mean, I think I've, I'm lucky enough to not have had that many bad experiences, although I still have, you know, some small experiences like, you know, in hackathons early on, people asking my male colleague about how to do something, even though I did it. Um, Mm -hmm. Just small things like that. Um, But I went to a women's college for undergrad. So Mm -hmm. my classes were all women, um, although I did take a lot of classes at MIT. and in the places that I did work, they they were mostly men. But honestly, I didn't feel that much of a difference. Like I never felt shy. I mean, I definitely felt imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, like I def- just, you know, working at Facebook a year after I started coding or working or like um, being uh, working on a project with top professors and, um, you know, a year and a half after I had dropped out of college and came back like at you know many points in during my journey I definitely felt out of place um and 
you know, above, what's the term? Like above my pay grade or above your pay grade, I guess. Yeah. You can, that's a phrase you can use, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of a fish out of water, but I definitely never felt, um, like that was because of my status as a woman. Okay. Gotcha. Just curious to ask, like I said, random thoughts come to my mind as we get into certain topics. How, how do you juggle all this? You know, you're, you're obviously working at Amazon. You have these, you know, side hustles you're doing, um, how do you do it? Do you, is there certain prioritization you do? Do you have certain habits that you found have been helpful to you? Yeah. Um, share a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's all like give and take, you know, at certain points in time, um, I'm able to dedicate more time to my side hustles and certain points in time you have to dedicate more to your full-time work. Um, and I definitely think, you know, like, just to be clear, um, I am very, I am learning a lot from this full-time role. And I think there's a lot to be learned from Amazon. Like, you know, um, they've created so many products and it's been really rewarding learning about, learning from um, the people there. Um, so I definitely think, um, you know, there's value in that as well. Um, and, and, you know, my learnings from there actually help with how I run my side hustles as well. Um, so I think it's more just, you know, give and take um, and just being willing to sometimes sacrifice on social time, um, you know, sometimes, but also making sure that you do take time to rest. So um, I'm pretty bad at this myself, but um, like, you know, doing Thanksgiving weekend, just completely blocking up time or things like that. So it's definitely just being flexible with when you have to work hard and when you should rest. Yeah. Well, so I want you to go back to your, um, let's go back to the the seventh grader. <laughs> and I want you to go back to your younger self. And I always like to say, you know, there's a million different pieces of advice, things you can give, but if you had to give one, like your most impactful that, that you could think of, that's going to help that seventh grader, you know, in the alternate universe that, you can go back and share that information. So to help them just a little bit easier on their journey, um, what would you share? Um, any Anything impactful that, that you'd share with that younger self? Yeah, um, I think, I would say the hardest part of, the hardest part of the journey is getting to know yourself. And it's also the most important. Um, I think, I think this is something that I wish I had, someone had told me, or maybe someone had told me, but I hadn't internalized. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, especially in the startup community, um, and even like sometimes the social impact entrepreneurship community, you, there's so much pressure to, to you know, hustle and move fast. Um, and I think that's important. I think you have to be willing to work hard. Um, but I definitely think you need to, also lay the foundations for emotional support um, to be able, because honestly, if, you know, you're feeling anxious or if you don't feel stable emotionally, then your work is going to suffer. Um, And I think that is super important. Um, And I wish I had internalized that earlier. And is that, do you think just sitting back and like self-reflection, looking at what's going on in your, in your life? So, Hey, how do I, how do I learn from mistakes I made or decisions I make? You know, how, how do you internalize that, I guess? Um, or how do you think about that for? Um, I guess in terms of like 
creating, um, are you asking about like how to create, how to assess your current um, emotional support system? Well, yeah, if you're like, hey, the, the heart, it's getting to know yourself. How do you get to know yourself better? Is it just it, like, do you sit back in, mm-hmm. in self-reflection and say, and let me say, let me be aware of what's going on. Is it just doing different experiences, writing yeah. notes on that? Like, how do you grow from that? I'm just curious if you have any additional insight um, on that. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great advice, I think. Um, but just curious, any additional insight you might have. Yeah, I think self-reflection is a big part of that. Um, and just, again, not being afraid. And this is, um, I guess there are parts of the, you know, start culture that I definitely agree with and like not being great, afraid to fail is one of them. Just mm-hmm. like starting, just trying different things. And even if you fail, you learn something about yourself and, um, you know, what types of projects excite you, what, how you are as a leader or, you know, the other things that, um, you know, there is to learn about yourself. And um, I definitely think a mindset that, that I found very interesting um, that I heard from a friend actually is that, you know, this journey is about who you're going to become. Like it's never ending. Um, So even if you try something and you fail, it's not the end of the world. Um, you learn something from it and you learn about yourself yeah, the next absolutely. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was really fun. Um, I enjoyed the conversation, a lot of uh, different perspective, which is, uh, which is always interesting to hear and refreshing. And I know folks listening in probably um, hearing your story is, is helpful. So I appreciate you being vulnerable, sharing some of this stuff, especially around bullying, but um, where can everyone find you online? Where they, where can they connect if they want to say hello or check out any of your work? Yeah, so I have my website um, and I do have a page for my current project. We're currently, again, like I said, we're going through a pivot, but mm-hmm. there's a place where people can sign up if um, if anyone wants to be involved. Um, it's still, you know, in the space of mental wellness and um, career development and through the lens of audio experiences. So something slightly different, similar end, of, end goal, but... Um, yeah, so that would probably be the best way um, for people to connect right now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brian. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by. Um, if you wanted to connect further, please head over to my website, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com as well as connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Andreco or search me on LinkedIn, just Brian Andreco. Um, I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.